Hear now this reading from the first book of Chronicles, chapter 29, verses 26 through 30. Listen now for a word from our Lord. Thus David, son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel. The period that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 in Jerusalem. He died in a good old age, full of days, riches, and honor, and his son Solomon succeeded him. Now the acts of King David from the first to the last are written in the records of the seer Samuel and in the records of the prophet Nathan and in the records of the seer Gad with accounts of all his rule and his might and of the events that befell him and Israel and all the kingdoms of the earth. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So our text this morning comes from First Chronicles, and my guess is that there are few, if any, among us this morning that came in, looked at the bulletin, saw that I was preaching on First Chronicles, and thought, awesome, First Chronicles, my favorite book of the Bible, can't get enough First Chronicles. Friends, First Chronicles is one of those books of the Bible that probably isn't read or studied as much as it should be by the Christian community because it's just so easy for us to skip through it or skip over it entirely as it's almost all made up of lists, genealogies, military lists of various kinds, lists related to the construction of the temple. And at first glance, it can look a little bit disjointed. But if we read through First Chronicles carefully, we will find that there is a thread of commonality that runs throughout the book. And that is that King David is portrayed very positively in First Chronicles, culminating with a little snippet that we just heard read this morning. He died at a good old age. He lived a long life marked by wealth and honor, and his son Solomon succeeded him as king. Now, that's interesting, but why are we talking about it today? Well, this is where being a student of the Bible pays off. Because if you're familiar with the preceding books of 1 and 2 Samuel, you know that there, David is portrayed quite negatively. The writer goes out of their way to point out David's sins and mistakes and failures, including killing off a man named Uriah so that he could marry Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. It's not pretty. And then we get to 1 Chronicles, and it's like a completely new story. We have all these lists that make David look good. Lists of ancestors to show that he was very important, and military lists to show that David was a mighty military leader, and lists about uh, the planning and construction of the temple to show that David was an effective spiritual leader as well. And then we have this beautiful summary statement. He died at the end of a long, fulfilling life marked by wealth and honor, and his son Solomon succeeded him as king. Friends, what's the deal? Why these two different views of David? Well, I think they're in there because we need the perspective. First and Second Samuel remind us that David was a person a human being. He had, as they say, feet of clay. He was a sinner. 
David made his share of mistakes. He had a share of failures. He did commit some very serious sins. But then we have 1 Chronicles, which reminds us that David was more than his mistakes. That despite his shortcomings, God didn't label David based upon his sins and mistakes. God didn't tie David's identity to his sinful nature, to his failures. God saw David through eyes of love, saw him in a bigger way, and didn't label him based upon his past errors. And friends, it is the same with us. God views us through eyes of love. God sees us as much more than our mistakes. God does not label us based upon our sins and mistakes and failures. Once, when I was in a class in seminary, our professor asked us to get out a sheet of paper and prepare to answer one question. Who are you? So we all started thinking things like name, address, hometown, things like that. And he said, it's not what you're thinking. I'm asking you, who are you from a theological perspective? Who are you from a theological perspective? So we all hemmed and hawed and scratched our heads and wrote something down. And when we were done, he asked us to turn to our neighbor and share our answers. Well, as it turned out, my neighbor was a woman from another denomination, and her answer to the question was, I am a sinner. And then I shared with her my answer. I wrote, I am a child of God. And she said, you're a Methodist, aren't you? <laughs> you Methodists never take sin seriously. And I said, well, I beg to differ. I can't speak for all Methodists, but I know that I'm a sinner. I do. It's just that as a Christian, I believe that it's not my sin that identifies me, that instead my identity comes from my relationship with God and Jesus Christ. That's what grace is all about. Friends, I believed that back then and I still believe it now. Isn't that what grace is all about? That through God and Jesus Christ, we aren't bound to our sin, tied to our sin, forever tattooed with our sins on our sleeve? Think about it. What if it really did work the other way? What if we were the sum of our mistakes? What if God labeled us based upon our sins and mistakes and failures? What if they attached to us permanently and followed us for the rest of our lives? I tell a lie, therefore I am forever labeled a liar. I'm unkind to a friend, therefore I am forever labeled someone who is mean or rude. I fail at something, therefore I am forever labeled some sort of loser or failure. How horrible would that be? Think about what that would do to our lives. If that were true, if God labeled us in that way. And yet, friends, even though God doesn't label us like that, plenty of us just go ahead and do the labeling ourselves. Years ago, I was in a Bible study, 
with a woman who told the group that when she was in college, she cheated on a class project. Now, this was a, this was a big sort of end of the semester final project. Cheated on it and got caught. Now, that sounds bad, but perhaps not cataclysmic. However, her college had a zero tolerance policy with respect to academic dishonesty, and after an investigation, she was expelled. And this was a very public humiliation for her. She said she was really sorry after the fact, but it just didn't seem to matter. Everybody knew, everybody knew. Her friends, her family, everybody knew. And the college insisted that she go ahead and move out of the dorm before the end of the semester so everyone in her dorm knew. And she said that she was in her dorm room packing up her things in tears when she heard two girls on her hall whispering about her outside her door. One of them said, why is she leaving? And the other one said, didn't you hear? She's a cheater. She's a cheater. This woman said that phrase, she's a cheater, just rang in her head. She could not get it out of her mind. And friends, I believe it, it dropped down to her heart. Because that phrase followed her everywhere. Decades later, we were sitting with her in this Bible study, and she cried and said to this group that, all those years later, she still had days where she heard that voice in her head and thought, that's true. That's who I am. I'm a cheater. Watching her emotional suffering was terrible. Friends, if it were true that we were the sum of our mistakes, then the Apostle Peter would be forever labeled a coward. And the Apostle Paul would be forever labeled a bully and a persecutor. Do you see what I'm saying to you? It does not work that way. We are more than our mistakes. God does not label us based upon performance or past behaviors. And if you're carrying that kind of burden... I pray you hear me and you let it go. You can let it go. It is the beginning of a new school year and that is an exciting time for our students, their parents, educators, administrators. There's a lot of good ahead. I believe that. There's a lot of good ahead this year, but... I think if we're also honest about it, beginning of a new school year is sort of a daunting time as well, right? I mean, friends, our kids are subjected to tremendous pressure in our culture to perform. 
Perhaps I should phrase it like this. They are subjected to tremendous pressure to excel, to make the best grades, to make the varsity team, to be the most popular, to have the most followers on social media. It's already hard enough growing up, you know? I'm afraid sometimes that we adults, we romanticize the growing up years. We pray that everyone has good times growing up, of course. But it's also really hard being a kid. Growing up is not an easy thing, and you layer on this tremendous pressure based upon performance, and that can be soul-crushing. As the Christian community, we have the responsibility and the privilege to teach our children that they are more than their mistakes, that their value and identity is not tied to performance. A child who makes a bad grade on a test should never be labeled a bad student. A child who tries out and doesn't make the team should never be labeled a failure. A child who makes a mistake, gets in trouble, has behavior issues, should never, ever be labeled a bad kid. And friends, as I said, our culture does a very good job of applying pressure based upon performance and slapping labels on people. The damage to self-identity and self-esteem is incredible. Our voice must be louder than that. Our voice as the church must drown out the cultural voice about performance. It's our responsibility and privilege to teach our children that they are beloved children of God with eternal worth and value and that God never labels anyone based upon performance. Maybe because it is the beginning of a new school year, I've been thinking a lot about teachers. I don't know about you, but I've had some amazing teachers over the years that have really made a difference in my life. I have the highest respect for educators. Their power, when used for good, is truly great. One of the teachers that's been on my mind was a professor I had in law school, Professor Shane. Professor Shane was a very hard professor, but he was also a very good man, and I learned a lot from him. Now, I can only speak for myself, I think, but I, I experienced law school as um, very pressure-filled. There was tremendous pressure to make certain grades, a pressure regarding class rank. And in the classes that I took, there was only one test, and it was the final. And the grade you got on the final was your grade for the class for the semester. An entire semester's worth of work boiled down to one exam. The anxiety was enormous. And I remember sitting with this entire classroom of students in Professor Shane's class preparing to take his final exam. You could cut the tension with a knife. We were all there with our five big pens on the desk, you know, and six blue books in a stack. 
we were preparing to take a four-hour essay exam and we would need every single minute of the four hours to finish. But just before he passed out the test, Professor Shane asked us to put down our pens and he said, I want to take a minute and I want to ask you to breathe, take a breath. You could hear everyone in the room trying to take in a breath, right? And then he said, the test you're about to take is an important test, but taking this test is not the most important thing you'll ever do. Get some perspective and never confuse who you are with something like the grade you get on an exam. Friends, I really don't remember taking that test, actually. And I, I don't, all these years later, remember what grade I received on the exam. But I do remember my teacher's words. They made a powerful impact on me. Words like that can make a tremendous impact in the lives of others, especially when they come out of the mouth of an authority figure like a teacher. My friends, we do make our share of sins and mistakes in our lives. David did too. He had quite the checkered past. But thanks be to God, we are more than our mistakes. God does not label us based upon our performance. God sees us through eyes of love as people with eternal worth and value and my friends, I want to end today by asking you again, please make a point this week to speak words of kindness and love to a young person and assure them that their identity is secure in God, that they are loved, and that no matter what they do, they are not labeled. They are loved so deeply, in fact, that Christ gave his life for them and for us. And thanks be to God for that. Will you pray with me? Holy God, we give you thanks for your grace, for it is abounding in our lives. Forgive us, O oh God, that we often labor ourselves when you do not. And Lord, we ask that you give us the courage to let go of our past sins and mistakes and assure our children of their great value and the fact that they are so deeply loved by you, regardless of performance. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.